From Times Square in Hong Kong, you're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to our very first episode of the Adventure Trail of 2019. This is where we talk about all things adventure sports related, all things outdoors, all things exciting in the world of Hong Kong and beyond. With me today, as always, is Mark Agnew. Mark, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good too. It's great to see you. Yeah, it's been a very, very long time since we uh, we last recorded together. Exactly. Yeah, when we last talked, you were about to head off to your um, cross-Atlantic rowing adventure. Uh, yeah, I really bigged that up with a few social media posts and that sort of thing. But uh, it didn't go so well. After a few days, uh, my partner got very ill and then we started having power issues and it just sort of became unwise to continue on so it's always a it's a decision now that i'll think rethink and rethink forever until i do eventually row the atlantic but i think it, objectively it was probably the right thing to be safe rather than bold mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah safe as always but sorry but now you're back and you can focus on trail running which we're in the middle of yeah so i've been uh, yeah but basically everybody always asks me so what are you running because i'm writing about it all the time but i've been putting it off for so long because i've been uh rowing trying to put on weight and do all of the opposite things to trail running but now i can be part of the community as a runner instead of just an observer but uh uh people aren't interested in my sort of plodding along it's the real big celebrities that hong kong's pulling at the moment i mean uh, the biggest one we've had so far in in, in since we last chatted is hong kong 100 you were part of the gone running live streaming tv that must have been pretty awesome to be in the mix like that right yeah that was i think the, the 19th of january so just a, a two weekends ago um and it was really exciting just to see the quality of the field and the the rising power of the chinese ultra trail runners who were just sweeping the field they came i think the top six of 10 men uh, the six of top 10 men were all chinese um as were the top four women yeah all the podiums went to the chinese runners which is absolutely great i mean it's such a fantastic race i mean it gives them a huge platform uh to get their name out there but likewise it's a testament to hong kong trail running season that more and more of these big names are getting uh, attracted across here you know you saw like scotty hawker and tim olsen um but uh, the big names aren't stopping. Um, this weekend, we've got the Nine Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, more big names coming. Julian Corriere, pronouncing his name probably incorrectly, uh, who's CCC winner and that sort of thing. He's running. And uh, we've got UTMB winner, uh, Francesca Campeno. I pronounce every single name wrong. There's always one wrong on this. And then after that, we've got the Fast 100, where we've got Jim Wamsley coming and uh, Rob Kras. So it's just a real... A real superstar list coming in the next few weeks. Do you think in the last few years, I mean, you have, have you were a track running before, so maybe you weren't necessarily aware of it, but uh, do you think there's more and more big names coming to Hong Kong? I think so. And just that with uh, uh, the Hong Kong 100 being part of the Ultra Trail World Tour as the first race of the 2019 season, that definitely adds a lot of street cred to the Hong Kong to the Hong Kong scene, um, to what it already had. And so I'm, I'm sure it will become much more competitive um, and draw a lot of exciting, exciting names. Yeah, but from high profile to low profile, the next, uh, really, my favorite event of the year, next week starts the Hong Kong Four Trails Ultra Challenge, mm-hmm. which uh, free to enter, only 30 people. The only way you're able to get in is if you write an essay to the organizer, Andre, who uh, who agrees with your motives. It's 298 kilometers, nonstop, no support, no checkpoints. 
uh, have to do it in under 60 hours to finish. It is mental. Do you, are you friends with any people uh, taking part this year? I know of people who are doing it. And the exciting thing, too, is that for the first time, Andre Bloomberg, the race director, has instituted the 50-50 policy where for each woman who does it, there has to be one man. So it's exciting to see that policy in action this time around yeah i think in the end you know with last minute dropouts it's, it's ended up about 60 40 okay which is a pity but um uh still that's way higher than uh, sort of the, the the norm in other races we've done podcasts before on that so just having women being a bit uh, being visible through races like this which as small as they are they're very well covered because it's absolutely bonkers i think that's uh, just a great platform to really uh, spread the message that everybody's badass, not just one or the other gender. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's probably the only ultra trail running event in the world that crisscrosses a metropolis like Hong Kong. So it just says a lot about what Hong Kong's to offer. Um, but coming up this weekend, um, which the, this event will probably be really right in the will right be right in the middle of things uh, when this podcast goes and uh, goes to air is the Nine Dragons yeah. race. Look at talking about badass women. We've got a pretty awesome one coming on today. Magna Bule. Uh, she is awesome and so popular in the trail running world because not she isn't just an awesome athlete, but she just seems like such a great and nice person. <laughs> but she's got such an interesting sort of path through running. She was an Olympic marathoner. So I think this is definitely our first Olympiad on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's had a very, very varied running career or at a very high level. So I'm excited to pick her brain about all things training and mental psychology strategy wise. Yeah, I'm excited to find out about her motivation. I, no matter what sport you're taking part in, over 10 years at the absolute top is a long time, not just physically, but just to stay on it. In your 2008 Olympics, she's a marathoner. And now 10 years on, she's just come off the back of a win at the 250 kilometer marathon de Saab. She won the Western States in her first attempt in 2015. Now she's taking part in the Nine Dragons, which is uh, um, probably one of Hong Kong's toughest races right. because it's got really aggressive cutoffs and really, really steep stair climbs. So uh, trying to just stay on it and stop. She doesn't just run for fun. She runs to win. And she's been doing that for over a decade so i'm looking forward to finding out what keeps her ticking hello magda welcome uh welcome to our podcast uh you are the first uh first of many things i mean i think you're definitely the biggest name we've had so far in the world of trail running but also the first olympian you're taking lots of firsts for us but it's such a i mean you seem to have been running at such a high level in different capacities for so so long how do you like, how do you just stay motivated to that whole that, that whole time, right the way back from the Olympics all the way up to now, still doing serious races? Right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, that's a really good question. I definitely figured it out that I need to keep challenging myself in order to stay motivated, and I need to find some really cool places to do it at. So that's been the trick for me. It keeps me totally fired up to, you know, to train for something that is a little bit outside of my comfort zone. And being here is extremely outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what in particular about Hong Kong is outside of your comfort zone? Well, all the stairs. Mm, oh, there's, yeah. no, there's no secret. <laughs> that is a big shock to the system. Absolutely, yes. Have you been doing much stairs to prepare for that? Some, probably not. After seeing you know, some sections uh, and a little bit just around town, probably not enough. 
<laughs> there's no way to, there's no other place to even train properly for the nine dragons unless you're actually here right yeah but um but um has there ever been a stage of the last 10 years where you've, you've just thought about just kicking it all in and taking up a slightly lesser punishing sport all the time <laughs> <laughs> you know i always uh I always wonder what it would be like to just show up to a race and not push, you know, your limits and kind of just enjoy, maybe take a nap at an aid station and indulge a little bit on some of the, you know, awesome food that they serve. Um, but I think that time will just, my body will tell me when I'm ready for that. I'm not ready for that yet. So I still like to push a little bit and see what my body can do. But it happens all the time where I just, you know, sometimes when you hit kind of that dark spot doing, during a, an ultra race, you kind of wonder, like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I should have just slept in. But that quickly goes away, too. And so what is it that pulls you back from that dark spot to bring in the, I guess, the light again to get you excited and running? Right. Um, I think that just the feeling of, training for something that is, again, you know, a little bit uh, bigger than you. Um, and completing that, showing up to that, you know, to that starting line and kind of going for it. Uh, and when you accomplish it, uh, you don't, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to every time, you know, run your best race, but just getting to that finish line, it's a pretty cool journey that you learn so much about yourself. And that kind of, you know, that's kind of that next, you know, hunger for me uh, to learn something new and um, discover something new about myself uh, is what keeps me, does, keeps me going. Does that hunger come back uh, um, immediately after every big race? I mean, you won the MDS last year and then the next day you're thinking, right, nine dragons or was it? No way. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, you know, it's, it's. Anytime someone will ask you, especially when you cross the finish line, will you do this again next year? I'm like, never again. It's usually, I remember, you know, whether it was MDS or my first UTMB, I said, never again, <laughs> right after that night. Uh, usually my husband, you know, will try to remind me a month later when I'm ready to sign up for something bigger again or something you know even the same race I'm like I'm doing it next year I just you know you have time to process and you have time to process maybe what didn't go right and where you have room for improvement and that's the cool part like you know you just finished this big event and uh, you quickly just discovered that there's still room for improvement and that takes time to process and it's usually not 24 hours it usually takes me about a month before I'm ready to you know to yeah. Sign up for something. Trail runners have very short memories. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, I mean, what was the? I mean, it was a while ago now. But why, why did you change from road running? Is that part of that looking for something else to push yourself? Right. Uh, so in 2012, you know, that was <clears throat> probably after a full decade of marathoning and doing, you know, marathon or half marathons, uh, even some track races. And I just got to the point where I was definitely looking, you know, to change things up to to keep that motivation going. It it kind of got a little bit, you know, more difficult to chase that, you know, that goal every single day. Um, and um, 
yeah, I, I felt like, you know, just listening to your body, my body was telling me, you know, you, you need to change things up in training uh, to, in order to, you know, to do what you love to do. And um, that next year I signed up for my first tra trail race. And not that tra trail running was new to me. I, you know, when I raced marathons, I definitely spent probably 70% of the time running on trails. Mm -hmm. I just never really considered racing uh, on trails. So I remember my first half marathon on trails, showed up with a friend, like, yeah, half marathon, shouldn't be this bad. That was the first time I walked <laughs> in a race and kind of felt really bad about it. Uh -huh. I said, wow, you know, this, I'm, I really suck at this. <laughs> but at the same time, as soon as I finished and processed that, I realized, well, you know, maybe I can work on something new. And again, that was, you know, that was uh, what opened the door uh, for me to, you know, to chase something that was exciting. I, you know, I had something new to work on and power hiking uh, is a thing. And you have, as a trail runner, you have to get good at it. So that was, uh, you know, I was on a new learning curve and it was exciting. And what are some of the things that you learned from your years of uh, track, uh, track running and road running that you think are very valuable now that you've brought over to trail running? Right. I think just the years that I spent, um, you know, uh, 10 years or even more um, training at a pretty high level, you know, I learned how to how to control a lot of uh, the controllables. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's really important in in trail racing. You know, the race is so, so long and you have to be really patient and you have to have a lot of respect for, you know, for the terrain and the weather and just not freaking out is what I learned, uh, what I learned over the years and just really controlling what I can control uh, has been probably my biggest uh, uh, factor that I, you know, transferred from, uh, from, um, from road racing, but also just pure joy for running. I mean, that doesn't go away, you know doesn't matter what surface you run. I, I loved running. I loved training. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, I still en enjoy it. It's just I'm running. It's a different challenge. It's, it's a different skill for me. So I feel like I'm still mastering that skill. Um, yeah. Does, is the experience different in the sense that, uh, uh, I mean, you're part of the Hockeroni only team now, but you're not uh, necessarily representing a team in the same way that you're representing the USA. Is that is that different, a different motivation, um, a different thought process, or is it that when you're left in front of right, it's the same? Right. I mean, you you know, the Olympics only happens every four years. Um, but during, you know, in between the Olympics, you you, you you still, you know, you, you can still race on teams. You know, there's world championships. Uh, there are people that, you know, that you train with. And I think that same thing goes, you know, in, 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 in ultra running. Um, there are definitely, and I've been, you know, on some teams um, as a trail uh, runner, whether it was mountain running. Um, there are some longer distances that you can go to, to world championships. It really doesn't mat matter, you know, that you're not training for the Olympics. However, there are opportunities like any time you race outside of your country, you represent your country, you know. So, you know, when I come to Hong Kong or when I go to, you know, to New Zealand or somewhere else, I still have the sense of pride that, you know, I 
put on my, you know, hokkaido uniform, but I'm still representing my country. Well, that, you've got a, quite, quite an eclectic identity. You were born in Poland, then moved to Germany, mm-hmm. am I right? And then yes. America. So, uh, I mean, what, what's it like representing America? The, right. Um, it is, I mean, it's your home and you are American, so it must right. be very proud, but that sort of eclectic background. Right. Well, I, you know, I, um, yes, I was born in Poland, born and raised. I lived in Poland until I was 15. So, and, you know, that was definitely who I identified with. I have spent more time now in the U.S. than anywhere else in the, uh, in, the, in the world. So it's, it's definitely home. And, you know, when, um, when you become a U.S. US citizen on September 11, um, <clears throat> like I did, you... 2001. You, 2001, sorry. Wow. Yes, yeah. forgot to mention when. Um, you, you just, you carried that extra... Um, extra sense of, I think, pride and, and it's, it's definitely heavy, uh, anytime, you know, I, um, I show up internationally and, you know, and, and race. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I definitely have kind of a mixed bag of, you know, where, where I spend my time, but, but at the end it's, you know, it's, you know, representing, representing, representing all countries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, anytime, anytime I, you know, I've had the opportunity to go and race in Poland. Um, and that was really special because growing up, I was not a runner. So I never ran. Uh, when I lived in Poland, I grew up swimming. So my, my running background takes me, you know, to, you know, to mostly college, a little bit of a high school in the U.S. and obviously post-college. So I, you know, that's what I identify my running as, you know, as, uh, as a younger, younger athlete. It was, you know, in the U.S. But going to Poland and racing for the first time there, you know, where I was born was really special, really. And I learned that you know, there is an amazing community of, you know, of Polish runners um, that were totally rooting for me and actually knew who I was, which blew my mind because, again, never, I never grew up uh, running in Poland. When did you actually start running? What changed between 15-year-old Magda and... It was mostly for social reasons. So, again, as an immigrant, when you're moving from one country to another, so I moved from, you know, from Poland to Germany and then from Germany to U.S. Uh, making friends was, uh, was definitely important and, you know, and finding, you know, a circle that, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, that you belong to, your tribe. And, uh, you know, I've always identified as an athlete. But um, my, uh, my senior year in high school, I met a friend who was a runner and she invited me to come out to, you know, to cross-country practice. And that was it. You know, I showed up and went on my first run. And I kind of learned that day that there was something special about running, something that I've never really experienced before as an athlete. And it just hit me pretty hard that, you know, sometimes it's never too late, never too late to find that sport that you belong in and that day, I just I knew that, you know, the level of um, of discomfort that I was willing to push myself uh, through was, uh, you know, was very different than than swimming. And I spent 
pretty much, you know, all my childhood swimming. What was that special something? Was it the feel of the air through your hair while you were running that you hadn't experienced before in the water or, or something completely different? I, I, you know, you know, I always joke around that it's, you know, it's so much more fun to, you know, to talk to people when, you, when you're running than you, when you're swimming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't really talk to people when you swim. So for me, you know, f- swimming, I, I didn't maybe, you know, interact with you with my friends as much. You know, you, you don't hear people, you know, breathe or struggle. You, you can, you know, I've, I've had, whether it's my friends or competitors over the years where you can do a workout together or run and you can really feel each other's, you know, suffering or happiness and, um, and you're in nature, you're, you're, you're swimming, you, you know, you can, you can really just dive in into just the beauty of, you know, what this earth offers and, um, kind of tune out and just listen to birds and trees and, you know, move or squeak or there's just so much that, uh, running has to offer and that just, yeah, I was hooked pretty quickly. (laughs) I wanted to turn back to a comment you made earlier about learning to embrace uh, walking in your first half marathon trail race and, you know, coming to terms with the fact that walking in the race isn't a failure and that you weren't doing something disastrously wrong. If you had to chart out your kind of education as a trail runner over the years, what are some of the kind of key milestones, would you say? Right. Well, you nailed it right right there when, you know, when I, that first race, when I, when I walked, I definitely felt almost ashamed. Um, and it felt a little bit embarrassing. Like, how am I walking? You know, <laughs> yeah, I spent so many years training really hard. I should be running up this. I was definitely really hard on myself. But then I kind of dove into just you know learning what you know what trail running was about, and kind of being a student of uh, of the sport, and and trying to understand that sometimes you know you are a lot more efficient power hiking than uh, than than running. Over certain um, slopes or uh, inclines, and and then just really just practicing and being confident sometimes that that um, that you're preserving energy, um, especially you know especially uh, on really steep steep climbs, and that you will have your legs at the end of the race was uh, and just trusting that process, you know that. Um, that that was the right right thing to do. Um, also, when you're running in a race and you're trying to you know muscle through a, a big climb and you're trying to run really hard, wasting a lot of energy, and someone next to you is power hiking and breathing less, you know that evidence right there was enough for me to say, okay, you really need to start practicing power hiking. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, are you still that harsh on yourself? I mean, even if it's not necessarily about whether you're running or power hiking, are you still harsh on yourself about how you're performing? You know, I've had some great races and I've had some really awful races uh, over the past five years in, in trail running. But, you know, I think I've been in this sport long enough where where I just, I look at the journey more than anything else. Um, and... And I do understand now that, you know, not every race that I toe the line to will be my best race. But when it does happen, I fully embrace it and just enjoy it because I know that those magical races don't happen every single time. And that's why you keep coming back. At the same time, I'm probably just 
when races don't go well, I'm just more disappointed for disappointing people, you know? Because um, I know that I will get another chance. But, you know, you always, it's, you always have a full team behind you. You know, there are people that show up, especially in ultra running. My family crews, they're at the finish line. And when you drop out out of the race for whatever reason, it's the worst feeling in the world. And it's not really that I'm disappointed that I didn't place. It's more just that I disappointed them for not getting to, the, to that finish line. Um, so speaking of your family, I'm sort of like in the middle of this uh, running process. You you became a mother, and you're now full time at Goo as well. Right. And uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of balls to juggle. A lot of heads. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily, you know, I figured out a way where, you know, they all kind of you know cross over, and running is not a chore uh, to me, even though it's you know it's one of my jobs. Um, and I'm working at Goo and being part of a culture that really embraces athletic lifestyle is, is really a blessing and being surrounded by people that get it. Um, and then my family, you know, I, you know, I married, uh, married a runner who gets it, who trained at a pretty high level. Uh, my husband was a sub four minute miler and we make it a lifestyle. So, you know, the whole family, you know, ever since, you know, my son was little, part of, you know, part of uh, trail uh, racing is, you know, spending time on trails just hiking. So a lot of my training is is with him where I will finish my long run and then I will just, you know, put a backpack on and him and I will just go for a two-hour hike. So he doesn't realize he's training with me or helping me. <laughs> but uh, we've definitely figured, you know, a way to you know, not to not to put this burden that, you know, training is must happen. It's more just our lifestyle. We, we spend time outside and um, that makes that makes it a lot easier to, you know, to to travel to places where it's kind of a vacation, but it's more of a training camp. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just being creative. Um, you know, I commute to work, uh, running uh, most of uh, the days of the week. And that's also something I learned just, you know, from doing my first um first um, stage race that, you know, I was kind of, that was part of my training, more specificity where I needed to run with a backpack and I would just load up all my clothes and my computer. I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter that it's 20 pounds heavy. And it's beneficial for my training. And I, you know, I would run to work. And then after I finished that training block and did the race, I realized that that was probably the best thing I can do, you know, to save some time uh, and have more time with my son at breakfast because I can just run to work. <laughs> so I've adopted that ever since, and it's been great. I gained literally, you know, at least, you know, an hour or two a day just by doing that, which is amazing. And so how does a typical week of training look like now in addition to the running to work and hiking with family on weekends? Right. So I, you know, I'm really lucky where I have uh, a great community where I live in Oakland. Uh, there is a, a group of uh, folks that work full time and everyone's either training for you know, an ultra or road race. It really doesn't matter. We get together about, you know, twice a week and it could be anywhere from a track workout, which, you know, something that I definitely, um, you know, still do, which is, you know, 
something that I carried over from road racing, and I believe it's really important to continue to to work on efficiency and turnover. It's beneficial for uh, trail racing. But yes, having people that um, you know are willing to get up really early in the morning uh, and keep you accountable for getting up and not snoozing <laughs> is the greatest tool you know I could to do with a few yes. of them in my life <laughs> Absolutely. we all could if i didn't have you know if i didn't have people to meet i would probably hit that snooze button more often uh, than i do i would you know find an excuse I'm like oh, i'll run during lunch break or you know i'll run after work a little bit longer but um you know, just you know, having having your friends that you're meeting is definitely key, and that's what I do twice a week. And I definitely enjoy you know one morning, you know, or two where a week where you know I'll get up really early in the morning and then show up and just have breakfast with my son. And then I miss I miss uh, you know plenty of breakfasts because it, you know I have to I have to get my training in in the morning. But weekends is from a lot more flexible uh, these days. And I don't mind, you know, just taking my time and, you know, driving somewhere where we can, you know, we can all go and, you know, I'll go for a run and meet my husband and my, you know, my son somewhere on the, you know, if it's point to point, they'll go for a hike and we'll spend the rest of the day somewhere, you know, on on the coast. So I'm a lot more flexible during, uh, during, uh, during the weekends. And that's where most of my mileage uh, comes uh, as a trail runner, you have to have big weekends or days where, you know, you're spending, um, uh, you know, long, long runs, sometimes back-to-back long runs, which forces you to go to pretty places. <laughs> um, so your son, I don't know how old he is, but is he old enough to sort of understand just how mental the sport that you do as a job is? Or does he do, is he completely normalized to it? And he, oh, yeah, 100 miles, that's nothing. Right. I, yeah. Unfortunately, I think that's the case right now because... <laughs> Um, you know, he kind of missed most of my road running uh, days uh, or my husband's. You know, we, we, we tell him that, you know, we used to run shorter stuff and he kind of, you know, looks at us. But uh, the funniest story, and it really hit me that, you know, he really lives in a different world than most kids, is when his friend came over and said, oh, I just finished my swim meet. And my son Owen asked, oh, what did you swim today? And his friend said, oh, I swam the 100 butterfly. It's like, wow, you swim 100 miles? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only measurement That's the only 100 that you can do. It's 100 <laughs> miles, not 100 meters. <laughs> so... Yeah, he lives in a different world. Yeah, that the other kid who must have been so proud <laughs> having to explain, uh, no, it's 100 meters. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> right, right. Suddenly the bread, all that, right. it whipped out of him. <laughs> Which is really hard. 100 meter butterfly is really hard. <laughs> yeah. um, but you're uh, you're in town for the, the Nine Dragons. And when, yes. this, when this comes out, where you might be in the middle of it, in the middle of the Nine Dragons. But... Um, what, how, do you, how are you feeling about it? It's uh, notoriously difficult in the Hong Kong scene. Are you a bit... Feeling ready? Is it an A race for you, or is it just something that you're doing for a, to sort of travel around? It's the first. It's the first race for me um, in 2019, and I did have a big race in December. So um, this is definitely, you know, I wish I had more time to to train for for this. And just listening to you know to to everyone telling me how difficult this race is, starting to really make me. Uh, 
I'm definitely intimidated by it. But uh, I'm really looking forward to, you know, to, to challenging my quads and really running a smart race. I think that, you know, that um, the back-to-back uh, will be very difficult on this course. Um, Your MDS, would that have helped? Yes, uh, my MDS as well as I think, you know, the I did a stage race in Dubai, which was, you know, something crazy like 165 miles in four stages, um, which is a lot of running. Um, <clears throat> but so I don't, I don't really worry about the back-to-back distance as much as the back-to-back amount of stairs. <laughs> Just it goes back to the stairs. <laughs> um, so uh, how much difference does it make to you um, with like the, the other runners in the field? I mean, uh, this is probably one of the, you know, you and uh, a UTMB winner mm-hmm. on the start Absolutely. line yeah. is, a, is, is a big deal in, in, the, in the context of Hong Kong running. Is that something okay. you're conscious of when you, uh, when, you, when you start off or do you just run your own race? Well, I, I think I every time I tow a line, I try to run my own race. Um, it's something that you know I definitely learned over the years that if you if you run your own race, you have the best chance of performing to your highest ability. Um, it's especially in long races that you know if you play around and and try to you know play games uh, in a long race, you get burned pretty quickly. Um, and the, it, the races are long enough, especially back-to-back races where, you know, pacing is really important. So I will definitely run my own race, but the people, you know, that show up to, you know, to, to races, they definitely get the best out of you by, you know, by pushing you a little bit, uh, or a lot. So, um, I have plenty of competition and, um, I just need to be really smart you know, to, to come back the next day and have running legs and um, and be able to run that 50K after running 50 miles. And did you similarly always uh, want to run your own race back in your road running days too? Because I can see those being also just maybe even more strategic with the race pack going and people surging. Right. And, you know, probably my best example is that, you know, it was the day I actually, I made the Olympic team, which was in Boston and... 2007, I remember meeting my coach and I was with the same coach for, for a decade. So, uh, we really knew each other and, um, I learned, I learned so much from, from my coach. Um, his name is Jack Daniels. He's awesome. Um, but anyways, (laughs) uh, that morning, you know, I got up and, uh, we had coffee and he, you know, he asked me a question. He's like, okay, what's your strategy today? I'm like, uh, I'm going to try to make the Olympic team. He's like, not asking that. He's like, what are you going to, to run? I'm like, whatever it takes to get top three. He's like, what are you in shape for? I'm in shape to run 2.30. What pace are you going to run? 5.45. He goes, yes, you're going to run your own pace. Uh, and I did exactly that. And, it, you know, I and the rest of the field played games. Um, they, you know, they ran a really slow first half because, you know, the American record holder was running really slow, but she was the only one who could drop, you know, the second half by two, three minutes. And, you know, everyone got just caught in, you know, in that uh, in that pace versus running their own. Um, and I, I just ran 545s and I ended up running 230 that day, <laughs> exactly what I was in shape for. I was not in shape to running anything faster than that. 
and I just ex executed perfectly. So even in road races, you can do that. Um, can, How that must have felt amazing, like that, yeah. not the fact that it didn't even like, you know, it happened to plan and everything. Right. Yeah. And like, and exactly. And this goes back to you know to to why why we do this. It's it stays like that where everything just aligns and you feel like you're running on just clouds. You know, you just nothing goes wrong and. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen every single time when you toe the line. But those races that do go so well is what keeps coming me, you know, keeps, uh, keeps, uh, keeps me wanting to come back. How far in advance do you know that this is one of those days? Or is it just when the uh, whistle goes? Yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, I've had races where I would warm up. And I felt awful and I said, today is not my day. And you're just trying to get that thought out of your head because, you know, the best thing that you can do for yourself is just say, you know what, you might not feel great, but it's a long race or even, even a 5K can be a long, long race. Uh, it's all relative. So it's just, just at least get out there and start. And you'll be surprised how many times you actually end up, you know, feeling better as the race goes. And it could be the other way around. I've had, you know, warm-ups where I would just, you know, I would convince myself that today was going to be the best day of my life. And sometimes it doesn't go that way. <laughs> <laughs> and so do, do you similarly plan out your um, trail races and map out exactly maybe roughly what time you want to hit each checkpoint or each particular landmark? Right. Yes, I do. I usually just look, you know, look back at the history and see, you know, who was participating as a guidance that always helps to kind of, you know, have a goal. Um, especially if this is like the first time you've you're on the course. But yeah, I do. I make some, you know, I write them out. I put a goal of, you know, what it's going to take to every, you know, CP all the checkpoints, and. Um, and definitely have a goal in mind to, you know, to trace. Um, yeah, I'm very goal oriented, so that always helps. <laughs> Planning is good. Yeah. Um, so one uh, one race that didn't go well, I want to ask about, but <laughs> probably a painful memory is in the in the Olympics in 2008. Yes, uh, it uh, it didn't go so well. Is that is that something that shaped how how you drive yourself um, from now? Right. You know, I think that. Um, so I dropped out out of uh, the Olympic marathon, which, you know, uh, when that happened, it, um, that was pretty devastating. You know, you, you, you don't just, you don't think, oh, I let down my family. You look at yourself like, wow, you're such a disgrace to your country. All of that stuff uh, just, you know, went through my, my mind and my body and I remember, you know, leaving China. Uh, it was 2008 in Beijing, and I just, I just like disappeared for for a week. I took my son. My husband actually stayed in China and enjoyed uh, some of the sightseeing where I just needed to 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 go and went and picked up my son and and we went kayaking uh, in Tahoe in California. And I really need, just needed to process what you know what happened. And it would have been really easy just to walk away and just say, you know what, that's it. I mean, when, you know, when will I ever to, you know, be able to, to top this? Um, and that was definitely, you know, I felt like I was in the best shape of my life. Um, but I think 
coming back from that and facing it and really telling myself that one race doesn't define you or your whole career was the best thing that happened to me because most of my success outside of making the Olympic team came right after that. So all of my personal bests, I ran the fastest 5K and 10K and marathon happened, you know, later. Um, And it was, yeah, it was definitely, you know, I don't want to say it was the best thing that happened to me. (laughs) Uh, I wish I, you know, it didn't go that way, but it definitely, you know, made me appreciate and made me realize why I run. Um, Because if I really just ran to make a podium or win a race or just to make an Olympic team, I don't think I would be here today running. Um, I love it too much. And that was when I really realized that, you know, it's time to get up and go for a run again and just keep chasing another goal. So what is your next goal? What 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 have you what is what's on your card for 2019? Um well, survive and uh and <laughs> in Hong Kong. <laughs> survive the stairs. <laughs> you, you you'll be so tired of me talking about the stairs. Well, everybody talks <laughs> Everyone, about the stairs. Yeah. I, I mean I spoke Lucy Bartholomew, <laughs> she was here yeah. last year or two years ago and I I, and I spoke yeah. to her at the, the Lantel 50 and she was like I did the nine dragons a year ago and I still have nightmares about it. <laughs> yeah, the Brits talk about uh, the rain and Hong Kongers talk about stairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, but quickly after after uh, the nine dragons, I'm going to turn around and switch gears and train for a road marathon. I After five years now being away from it, I feel like my body needs to do a little bit of that work. Which one will it be? It's a local race in California, Modesto Marathon. Uh, I literally picked something that was, you know, eight weeks after this. The timing was right. Uh, it's a flat course. So, um, yeah. Then Lake Sonoma 50, which is also in California, not too far away from me. Um, and then I'm looking at Lavaredo. Uh, oh, that's and, well, yeah. that looks so beautiful. <laughs> yes. And Leadville. Mm-hmm. That oh, will cool. be my 100 miler this year. Yeah. Oh, you're really swinging between different uh, different distances. Yeah, it keeps me yeah, it keeps me challenged. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, good luck uh, this weekend. We're coming to the end of our our podcast, but thank you yeah. very much for taking the time to chat to us. It's been really really interesting. Thank you. And thank you, Mary, as always, thank for um, for uh, for hosting with me. And uh, thanks everybody else for tuning in at home. Uh, good luck to everybody who's running the Nine Dragons. If you're in the middle of it when this comes out, I hope that you aren't suffering too much. Um, but looking forward to uh, having more guests on in the future. Thank you.